Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for adults. Listener discretion is advised. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary. I would continue, but I don't know the words of that song. It's just happy anniversary over and over again. <laughs> I wrote it myself. It's good, right? Jesus Christ. It's amazing. You didn't know you had two musical talents in this house. I know. Yeah. It's a podversary. Podversary. I like that. Yeah. Happy Podversary, everyone. Yay. Welcome back to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. I'm your host, Erica, joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. Hi. On this fabulous Podversary. It has been one year since we started, and wow, you guys are amazing. Mm-hmm. We never thought in a year's time we would reach almost 40,000 downloads. That's just astounding to me. And we want to thank you guys sincerely. Everyone who's listened, subscribed, rated, reviewed, interacted with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You guys are just awesome. This is like the best feeling ever. <laughs> I never even expected this much like support. No. Or anything. I thought, oh, well... Maybe we'll get like a thousand downloads by the end of the year. This is just bananas. And even if we had a thousand downloads in the, the year, I'd be like, we're pretty kick ass. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, did you do you have any um, New Year's resolutions? I do not. Do you? I do. What's your New Year's resolution? They're pretty. They're pretty attainable. I just kept it simple. The first one is reach my top peak physical condition. The next one is get 1 million subscribers and get a phone call and it's going to be, hi, my name is such and such. I don't think it's really going to be their name. And we're from Netflix and we heard your podcast and we want to turn it into a show. And then I'm like, word dog. And I never say word dog, but I'll say word dog. Mm. And then we quit our jobs. We make enough money doing the TV show and doing the podcast full time. And we move back to Colorado. And... Then, from all of our success, I develop a really cool cocaine habit. Then, I hit rock bottom and go into rehab. And then I find God. And then I spend most of my time doing like motivational speeches and everything. And then I end up on one of those little clickbait things you see on Facebook where it's like, where are they now? And then you're like, who the fuck is that guy? I, that's what I'm going to do. Sounds totally feasible. It's a year off, so I got to get started. Yeah, I mean, you need to hit it now. You know anybody that's got some blow? Guys, you need to spread the word now. We got to hurry to the next stop of the cocaine addiction. That That's... Habit. Oh. Habit. 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 Not an addiction. No, I'm just partying. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have fun, you fucking squares. <laughs> Okay, I, I think we can do it with 
with the help of our listeners, spread the word. Get us to one million. Get us Netflix. Get Billy the Cocaine. We'll go from there. Yep. I'm really going to shit my pants if... Uh, yeah, please don't send us cocaine in the mail. If cocaine in the mail, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I would even do with it. As soon as I said it, I was like, ooh, no, no. <laughs> Some of the people that listen to us might try and do that. No. We appreciate thought, but we don't want interpostal drug mailing on our rap sheet. Yeah, leave that to me. I'll leave that to Billy. Okay. I'll get it. (laughs) Well, for this special one year anniversary, I was trying to think of things that might be related to something, you know, maybe happened one year when you're apart or anniversaries. So taking that in mind, I found three murderous anniversaries that have happened and I want to share them with you guys with the help of Billy. I'm here to help. For this wonderful podversary. And I help. (laughs) So we've, you know, had this idea in mind and I found three and the first two I didn't really put as much research into as the last one because the last one is kind of a big one. But we'll go ahead and go through the first two for your guys' listening pleasure and see what you think about them. So this first case is of Leslie and Anthony Culley. And it's the most recent of the three. It happened on December 8th of just last year, 2016. Leslie Culley, who was 58, and Anthony Culley, who was 56, had been preparing for their 30th wedding anniversary. Cradle robber. Cradle robber. (laughs) Two years. This is trying to be a cougar. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, they were getting ready for their 30th wedding anniversary party that was to take place in a few days at the Old Bank Pub in Oldham, Greater Manchester, England. They dropped off some food for the party at the pub on the night of December 8th, and the two ended up staying for a while and drinking. Leslie had the equivalent of a bottle of wine, and Anthony had about 10 pints. So I would assume they were probably both kind of loaded. In a great mood. Yeah. I wonder when they dropped off the food for the party if they're that... We all know that one person who shows up to the party, and everybody's cooked nice food and all that stuff, you know? And really, you know, like, and they're like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I do lasagna really good, so I'm going to make it really good, because I know I could do that dish perfectly. I'm going to bring that to the party. And then that one mother, you know who they are. That one motherfucker shows up with a bag of bugles and a two liter of Coke. Mm-hmm. And we, eat everybody else's fucking food. We know one of those. Man. <laughs> Couple of those. <laughs> yeah, so technically this one wasn't on their anniversary, but they were approaching it and preparing for this party for their anniversary. I wonder how loosely you connected all these things. Like, technically it wasn't their anniversary, but they were a couple, and couples are known to have anniversaries. This is the only one that was not actually on the anniversary, but it it was a pretty interesting story, which is why I chose it. Like I said, they were both a little inebriated, as people do, as I take a drink. You're, You're inebriated. Not quite. I do not have a Coke problem. Not yet. <laughs> Knock on wood. And then it'll just be a habit. Yeah. Not a problem, right? Yeah, I like the party. So, um, yeah, they were drinking. Leslie got up and sang some karaoke. And everyone there thought they seemed to be in pretty good moods. 
at some point on the way back to their home on Unsworth Way, they started to argue, which only worsened when they arrived home and Anthony found the bed unmade. Holy shit. Bitches out there be tripping. Fucking didn't make the bed? I can't tell you. Are you serious? It's probably been a couple months since I made ours. This is the last time you're We're always hear, in it. This is the last time you're going to hear her fucking voice alive. No, you sleep at night. I sleep during the day. There's practically someone in it all the time. That'll change soon, though. Sounds like you're kicking me out. <laughs> <laughs> if I go to rehab now, <laughs> is it cool? You haven't even prepared for a problem. I heard God's there. <laughs> you going to find him? I'm supposed to. Okay. Well... They go home and Anthony finds the bed unmade, and this is when they really start to argue. Loud enough that neighbors could hear the yelling. Anthony called Leslie a lazy bitch for not making the bed that day. It's not quite known whether Anthony became physically abusive in addition to being verbally abusive. Leslie would later reply, no comment, when asked. But whether it was rage or self-defense, Leslie decided to plunge a kitchen knife into Anthony's chest. I wonder if, like... The last thing he heard, other than the bones crunching from the knife piercing his sternum, was the, no, you make the bed. (laughs) It could have been. Just minutes later, Leslie called 999 and reported her husband had, quote, collapsed bleeding from his shoulder, initially acting like she didn't even know what the fuck had happened. But when officers arrived, she was, quote, curled up in a ball crying and screaming on the bedroom floor. Anthony was found face down in a pool of blood in the living room. He had one stab wound to the chest and a wound on his forearm indicative of a defensive wound. The knife had already been washed and returned to the kitchen. I don't know when she decided to have her little mental breakdown, but she was with it enough to go and wash the knife off and put it back and pretend like nothing happened when she called 999. Just saying. Yeah, I would be more like, okay, this woman's crazy if you showed up and she's holding a bloody knife trying to play like it's a flute. <laughs> yeah, that that would probably like, fall oh. under crazy. I'm like, oh, wow. She's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that sounds good. <laughs> it's funny, like, the investigator's walking through the crime scene and everything, and he's like, and the fucking bed's not made. What kind of world is this? <laughs> This is your problem here. Has the whole world gone mad? <laughs> this, this, fellas, is what started the whole thing. I'm calling it now. So let me get this straight. This is what I think happened. This is the, this is the, this is the events as they occurred. This is my hunch. Guys, write this down. The bed wasn't made, so he took the knife and plunged it in his chest because <laughs> he doesn't want to live in this fucking world anymore. <laughs> and he came out of the bedroom going, my shoulder, and fell down. <laughs> so she's none the wiser. The, she ain't the, smart enough to make a fucking bed. She doesn't know. <laughs> the detective's like teaching the rookies, like, fellas, just remember. If you don't want to end up like this, always make your bed. Always. Or you could end up in this exact situation. We see it every day. And that's why in London there's a holiday called Bed Making Day. <laughs> no one lays in it. We make the bed nice and proper. And then we sleep on the couch as not to disturb the bed. <laughs> don't want to. We do don't that. want nothing happening to your shoulder. <laughs> um, 
our listeners from England, please let us know if that is um, a holiday you're interested in having. National Bedmaking Day. Maybe we can push for your government to pass that, enact it. Is it a holiday? <laughs> Did I just nail it on the head? <laughs> is it? Well, uh, this wasn't the first time Anthony had been stabbed, though. He had actually been stabbed in the shoulder by Leslie just three months prior. At that time, he refused to give a statement to police for the incident, saying it was just an accident. Leslie had been seen by her doctor shortly after the stabbing and was noted to be, quote, significantly bruised. She missed his other shoulder on this latest stabbing. (laughs) Yeah, she went straight for the heart. She was way off. Anthony had suffered fractured ribs also on three separate occasions in the couple's recent history, the last one being just days before the fatal stabbing. But Leslie had been seen with cuts and bruises on several occasions as well. It was also made known in the Manchester Crown Court that Leslie had complained to a friend about alleged assaults by Anthony and that she had booked a domestic violence appointment with the police. I don't know what that entails over there, a domestic violence appointment, but she had booked one. I'll need you to show up at 10.30, and we're just going to have a roundabout in the bedroom, and we're going to see who comes out on top. (laughs) But, you know, from all of these injuries both of them have sustained, it kind of sounds like all of it was mutual. They both had a volatile and physical relationship. That's how it sounds to me. But she evidently had voice that this was something more one-sided with Anthony attacking her. But if this is the case, why the hell are the two out drinking and planning an anniversary party? I mean, if you're that concerned about getting beat by your husband and you've made this appointment with the police, you sure weren't showing it when you dropped off food for the party and drank and sang karaoke and didn't make the fucking bed. That's that's probably what started it, too. It's like, you know, you said that you were going to make the burritos and bring them. It's like, I mentioned making the burritos. You said you were going to make the ravioli casserole. What happened to that? Where were you on that one? Well, now we're going to have to stop at the fucking store and get some goddamn Sprite and Doritos, and we're going to look like fucking assholes. <laughs> like, this started earlier. And she's like, and she's like, well, I guess we're going to have to. How's your fucking shoulder? And he's like, how those ribs treating you? And he's like, it's tender. <laughs> <laughs> it still hurts badly. I need to change the bandage. Is Cool Ranch okay? <laughs> well, Leslie had troubles in her life. Oh shit. She had, which is actually sad. She lost a son who had died, and another son was left severely disabled in a car accident which forced her and Anthony to return to Manchester from Cyprus, where the couple had been living. She had also been diagnosed as bipolar and had a history of suicide attempts. Judge Richard Mansell took these factors into account when Leslie was sentenced in June of this year, 2017, after pleading guilty to manslaughter. I would hope he took it into fucking account, but he's a judge. (laughs) He felt that Leslie was in a, quote, manic episode when the attack happened and that her mental health had quote impacted significantly on the sentence citing that she had lived a life of unimaginable tragedy 
He felt the evidence showed that Leslie's mental illness had distorted her perception that her husband posed a threat and sentenced her to six years in jail. Now, whether it was distorted or not, if they were both aggressive factors in this relationship, I don't feel that she would have really had a distorted perception that he was a threat. But seeing as she's been an aggressor as well before, I don't know if six years is really enough. It's nowhere near enough. And it doesn't matter how aggressive and physical the relationship was. Somebody made it a lot more fucking aggressive because there was a knife involved and there was somebody's chest involved. And you can't really... I mean, you, you can take into account like their past, but you can't let that affect what your sentence is going to be. There isn't the, I know in, like, in America, like it, I don't know what it is, but like it, each crime carries its own term. Mm-hmm. You know, like murder is like the X amount of years. You don't get to decide, well, come over and, you know, make me lunch and we're cool. No, like you have to serve at least this amount of time because it's a federal crime. So she should have just gone straight to fucking prison and been like, hey, sorry about your life. It sounds like you had it really rough mm-hmm. and I really feel bad for you. But that doesn't mean you should have stabbed somebody in the fucking chest. Yeah. I mean, and one solid stab right through the chest. And his heart, boom. It's and all again, done. if the cops walked in and she's got a bloody knife and she's got the tip on her fingertip and she's trying to balance it, and she's like, look what I can do. Then, <laughs> sure, you should probably get some mental help or something. But if you had the wherewithal to take it out and mm-hmm. then come up with a fucking excuse, yeah, then you knew what you were doing. You knew what you did. You went and cleaned it off and put it back in the knife block and called 999 and was like, I don't know what the fuck happened. He's bleeding from his shoulder. I don't know. <laughs> crazy huh that's probably his last words too is like you missed my other shoulder you can't even do that right <laughs> you should have just made the bed no casserole no bed no shoulder apparently <laughs> you stupid oh uh, what love 30 years they would have been celebrating. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Knife in the chest. Da, 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 da. Boop. Cocaine. <laughs> All right. Moving on to story number dos. Frederick and Valerie Doty, which happened in May of 2001. Frederick was a retired engineer. He had met Valerie in 1995, so six years prior, while he was still married to his first wife. And the two began having an affair. But his wife of 35 years eventually found out and divorced him in April of 2000. Just one month later, after the divorce was final, Frederick and Valerie got married. There was friction in the relationship as obviously Fred's children had a big fucking issue with this whole thing. You're going to cheat on our mom and you guys get divorced and you're married a month later. So the two of them decided that for their first anniversary, they were going to take a trip and they booked a hotel room in Portsmouth where, which I guess would probably be pronounced Portsmouth over there. Why not? Sure. Portsmouth, Portsmouth, whatever. Where Valerie had lived formerly to try to kind of quote unquote sort things out. They checked into room 324 at the Post House Hotel And things started going south from the very first breakfast that the two had in the hotel dining room. When Fred said that 
nobody could make better scrambled eggs than his first wife. Uh-oh. Oh, you don't do that. Talking about the first wife. Don't do that. Mm. The two continued to argue on and off throughout the day, but went back to the dining room for dinner and drinks. Try and kind of bring all that to a close and end the night on a good note. This was an anniversary? This is their first year anniversary. First year anniversary, and you criticize your wife's cooking by saying that your first wife's made better food. It wasn't even her cooking. It was the hotel food. Oh. And he said, oh, nobody could make better scrambled eggs than my Uh, first wife. You shouldn't even mention anything like that. Yeah, how did that even come up? Anybody could probably make better eggs than the fucking hotel. Keep those on your inside thoughts. (laughs) So they went back to the dining room to have some drinks. Fred had two vodka and bitter lemons, and I had to actually look this up because I was like, what the hell is bitter lemons? I guess it's a carbonated soft drink over there. So vodka and bitter lemons, and Valerie had three glasses of sherry. So they were probably a little tipsy, too. Well, sherry, that's a wine. But she had three glasses of it in a dinner. Well, we don't know what a... We don't know what three glasses was. I mean, it could have been like a little tiny glass, or it could have been a big gulp from 7-Eleven. If it was a big girl from 7-Eleven, she was probably fucking hammered. <laughs> I don't think that she would have had a big gulp full of sherry. But you, were you there? Were you there? I wasn't. Okay. I make better eggs than all of them. <laughs> he probably does. You have my scrambled eggs? The yeah. soft, fluffy ones? Yes, that... they're, they're good. They're so good. They're so good. I'm a really good cook. No, eggs. I'm good at everything I do. Including your cocaine habit? <laughs> we're gonna find out, aren't we? Up top! <laughs> No. Up top to myself. Uh-huh. Otherwise known as a clap. A clap. Yay! So, I'm not saying that they were totally wasted or anything, but they were probably a little tipsy. At least feeling a little warm and fuzzy. Fred gave Valerie a gold bracelet, and the two returned to the room. But they soon began to argue again, this time about the size of one of Fred's daughters. I mean, size... I don't know if they were like, man, that's a huge bitch. Or if it was like, yeah, she's just so fucking small. But they were arguing about this. This was their argument. And still, that's where that's where she's probably in the wrong. Don't bring up your husband's kids. If they're not your kids too, but they're his kids. Their size. Don't bring anything up about them. It's not like, oh, well, your kids are always putting their noses in our business. No, it's... Fred and Valerie were pretty stupid. Yeah. This is their argument, the daughter size. Yeah, it's like, man, these eggs are not as good as my first wife's, man. She made eggs that you wouldn't fucking believe. Oh, my God. What'd I say? And then, like, later on, she's like, man, you really took down that dinner. That reminds me of your fucking daughter. You know? <laughs> yeah. What? What'd I say? <laughs> God, how are you just... You just fucked everything up. That was the worst anniversary they, ever. They've both inserted foot into mouth. For real. <laughs> Fred would later say, quote, Then I mentioned the fact that all she wanted me for was to do a bit of chauffeuring and pay a few bills. And she said, yes, it does come in handy. Well, so again, should you say that? That's inside thoughts. But she went on and also allegedly told him that she never loved him and she still had feelings for an old boyfriend. Fred stated, quote, my frustration just boiled over, and I picked up the doorstop and swung it at her. By the way, speaking of boiled, have you had boiled eggs, and have you had my ex-wife's boiled eggs? They're boiled eggs. You can't really do anything. Yeah, they're, they're boiled eggs. 
My frustration just boiled over and I picked up the doorstop and swung it at her. She started to scream and I put a pillow over her head. It was merely to keep her quiet. The two problems with this are one, a post-mortem exam showed that Valerie's larynx was fractured, meaning she had more than likely been manually strangled rather than smothered by a pillow. Pathologist Dr. Alan Anscombe testified that quote-unquote considerable force had to have been applied to Valerie's neck and said, quote, I do not see how the injuries to her throat could be caused by pressure applied by a pillow over her face and neck. And point number two, <laughs> the doorstop was not one from the hotel room. It was actually a sock filled with sand that the two used at their home. Okay. Fred claimed that he, quote unquote, accidentally packed it. How does something like that get packed, even accidentally? I mean, that's as ridiculous as saying, oh, I accidentally packed the welcome mat. I mean... I'm going to do that when we go to the Great Wolf Lodge. I'm going to take our welcome mat and put it outside of our hotel door. <laughs> but a sock filled with sand. First of all, we don't know what that pillow was. It could have been made out of concrete. There's that. I didn't find that anywhere in the evidence. Who has a sock filled with sand in their house? For a doorstop or like, you know, they have those uh, long ones like to block yeah, out the I've cold air. Yeah, I've seen that on the old, in the old people catalogs. <laughs> the, the old people catalogs. You know or you about? could just make it yourself with a sock and some sand. But the old people catalogs It's a sand-filled sock, Billy. They love them. They love them. Do you know? Yeah. Those. How many old people do you hang out with? Oh, God. What's today? <laughs> 54 maybe <laughs> they like they like door stops and they like copper rings and copper braces because of their arthritis and they have diabetes socks and they hurt they're tight <laughs> diabetes socks diabetes socks it's diabetes oh i'm sorry is that what you're saying hurts yeah they're too tight i don't like them when did you wear diabetic socks whenever i go hang out with old people in their homes oh yeah, yeah, it's it, it's every time. Trust me, they're like, "Who are you? Why are you in my house? Put the gun down!" And I'm like, "I just want to put on some socks. Sit down, Pearl." I just like old people. God, it's the cocaine talking. It ain't me. <laughs> so yeah, so he he beat her with his homemade doorstop that he accidentally packed. And the thing that gets me is like, I it was merely to keep her quiet. That's like, what is it, Of Mice and Men, where he's trying to, like, pet the bunny or something like that, and he snaps his goddamn neck. He's like, yeah. this one's just soft. This is yeah. soft. Except that the forensics don't match up, and we know that you probably just fucking throttled over <laughs> with your hands. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. <laughs> cracker. Okay. Uh, once Fred realized that Valerie was dead, he called the reception desk at the hotel and told them that he needed the police because his wife was dead. Why he didn't call them himself, I don't fucking know. But Fred, I know that's what the front desk could be like. Can you call the police? My wife is dead. Um, you're on the phone now. Why didn't you just call yeah. them before me? You could have called me after and be like, "Hey, look out for the cops. Send them to my room." <laughs> Stupid. Well, he he let them in when the authorities arrived and completely admitted to killing her. Talk about she fell on her shoulder. <laughs> Valerie's body was lying on the bloodstained bed, and Fred claimed, quote, It was a silly argument that got out of hand. Though he did complain to authorities later that Valerie had become possessive since the two married. 
So he's trying to claim it just, it got out of hand. I put the pillow to keep her quiet. And next thing I know, she's not breathing. Weird, right? Even though he just beat her over the head with a fucking sand-filled sock. Fred was found guilty in January of 2002 at Winchester Crown Court by a majority verdict. Which, I don't know how you would need a majority. I would think it would be unanimous. I mean, it's pretty clear he fucking killed her. He was sentenced to life in prison by Justice Roger Toulson, who stated, quote, It remains a mystery why you acted with such extreme violence. Because she said my daughter's a huge bitch. Don't talk shit about my kid. <laughs> Fred is now most likely dead, as if you hadn't put it together when I said he'd been married for 35 years already. He was 71 when he murdered his 72-year-old wife. On their first wedding anniversary. She's a cradle robber too. That means that they were already in their mid-60s when they started bumping uglies having the affair. Ew. Ew. Uh, do you think they you think they fucked mm. on the plastic covered couch? <laughs> That's why they have those. <laughs> you solved the mystery. I cracked the code. <laughs> the old people are randy. <laughs> I'm trying to be intimate with my wife, sir. Why are you in my house? I'm like, socks! <laughs> Diabetes! <laughs> I just want to hang out with old people. Mail me a check for $13 on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You got any hard candies? <laughs> Butterscotch. It's just wow. funny, like, this whole thing is like, man, this, uh, this argument, woo! It really, really got out of hand. So uh, we're cool. Like he downplayed everything. Like it was, you know, I just wanted to be quiet. God, it was just this whole back and forth and back and forth. Things got crazy, and now she's <laughs> dead. I went to call the cops. What if this? He went to try to call the cops, but like you push like say 999 or whatever you know but like the front desk is nine so you like hit nine and they're like front desk he's like ah, oh 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 uh, hey hey, hey you <laughs> did you do me a solid yeah i'm fred up in 342 <laughs> you know the couple that was arguing in the dining room yeah you know those calls <laughs> that was me <laughs> you know those calls you've been getting about the noisy couple <laughs> guilty i gotta get used to saying that one so can you go ahead and have the cops <laughs> I'm going to hang up now and look in the mirror and say guilty. See if I can get my face to do it. Oh, man. Sorry about that. And can I keep the towels? <laughs> you know, it, it really warms my heart to think that probably up until he died every morning, he had powdered eggs in a goddamn prison. Yeah. Thinking about his first wife's eggs. Thinking about, man, I should have just kept my fucking mouth shut. Yeah. And I tried to look, you know, and find if he would actually has died. Because, I mean, I would assume so since this happened in 2002. When he was found guilty but you know it's possible he could be some crippled old man almost a hundred finishing out a sentence in prison who knows but i would assume he's probably passed on play like if they did that like in court you know they're like and then she started talking about my daughter and then the daughter stood up in court like oh hell no fuck yeah dad <laughs> that bitch that bitch that home wrecking bitch <laughs> and uh you know the ex-wife had to be like serves his ass right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go home and make me an egg burrito 
That's karma at its finest. I just had to sit back and watch. Mm-hmm. It probably didn't sound anything like that because this is England, but. I think it, I think it did. I think you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this last case is the one I said is kind of involved. So let's uh, just get right into it. This is a case of Harold and Tony Henthorn. Tony Bertillet was a 50-year-old ophthalmologist living in Mississippi, and she had practices in Jackson and Vicksburg. What's an ophthalmologist? An eye doctor. What's an optimist? Oh, you guys just fucking said eye doctor. Ophthalmologist is a lot more fun to say. Well, there's fancy pants over here. Ophthalmologist. It just sounds good. Ah. 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 Oh. Noises. Ah. Oh, loud noises scare me. The future. Ah. Eggs. <laughs> Tony was the middle child born in 1962 to a family that owned an oil business. So, needless to say, she was pretty wealthy. But she was a middle oil child. Oil business and an eye doctor making bank. She Probably was, pretty wealthy. She was a middle child. I see I see it starting. I already I got your I don't problem know. right she, there. She has two brothers. One of them's a cardiologist. I don't know what the other one does, but Man. the whole family was successful. A lot of ologists in the family. <laughs> Cardiologist being a heart doctor. Could just said heart doctor. You fucking show off with your $10 words. 20 $20 word. Why'd you help the value? I want 20 I'll give you an STD. Ooh. That's my one-year anniversary gift to you. <laughs> Herpes. We're past one year, hun. If, if you had it, I've already got it. Yay! Herpy twins up top. No. Okay. Her family said that she lived for her work and for the church. Harold Henthorne was raised in Washington, D.C. and studied business and geology in college. He fell in love with the Rocky Mountains, of course. Why wouldn't you? They're gorgeous. And moved to Denver. Why wouldn't you? It's gorgeous. I prefer Colorado Springs over Denver, but I get it. He was a self-described entrepreneur who owned his own company as a fundraiser for nonprofit groups. The two met in 1999 on a Christian dating site. Ew. Those who knew the couple said they were both pretty smitten with each other, and they ended up being married in Mississippi the next year. And they moved to Denver shortly thereafter. It was marriage number two for both of them. Tony had been divorced, and Harold's first wife had died in what he said was a car accident. Tony joined an ophthalmology practice, an eye doctor practice, there you go. in Denver, and Harold continued working as a fundraiser. But Tony's family started to feel uneasy about things. Harold never seemed to pay for anything. At their wedding rehearsal dinner, when the bill came, which according to the source I got this from, is typically paid for by the groom. Yes, yes. Uh, the groom's family pays for the rehearsal dinner. The bride's family pays for the wedding. Mm. I was unaware of that. Yeah, uh, it's usually just tradition because the bride's family pays for it. So then, like, I think after years, you know, they're like, hey, motherfucker, somebody needs to pay for her. If I'm foot for fronting all this money, you pay for my goddamn steak. Well, you we know? planned our wedding in, like, a two-week period, so we didn't have a rehearsal dinner. So I guess I was unaware of that. <laughs> yeah, we had corn dogs. <laughs> Me and you went to Steak and Shake because they're famous for steak burgers. Probably. And yeah, but that's for that whole, that movie Father of the Bride. That's what it's about. It's about, you know, not not just him letting go of his daughter and all that stuff. It's him having to pay for all this and getting all these expensive things and it's going to be at the house or whatever. And it's just, 
funny movie. You should check it out. Steve Martin's great. But hmm. yeah, Father O'Brien. Okay. It's now available on Netflix. No, it's not. <laughs> have you looked for it? Have you searched it on Netflix? I have a reminder set. Oh. So when it does come available, mm-hmm. you'll be ready. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to hold you to it. You're going to say, it's fucking here. And we're going to watch it right then. I'm going to leave my work and come to your work. <laughs> you don't even know where I work. I will drive around <laughs> screaming your name. I work in another city. The... And you'll just drive around that other city. Actually, you won't even make it to the other city because you don't know how to get there. <laughs> we have GPS now. Oh, I could get True. there. All I need is, that's really all I need is somebody to be like, turn left. Okay. <laughs> left I go. Everybody in that city's going to think I'm crazy. Officer, he was driving around with his head out his window screaming, Erica, I got father of the bride. We don't know what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> it was just weird. Then he looked at me and said, he screamed, get out of the road, harlot. But I was on the sidewalk at a bus stop. <laughs> he was crazy. <laughs> oh, well, uh, at the wedding rehearsal dinner, like I said, Harold said he... Forgot his checkbook. <laughs> really? Oh, sorry. Can you get this one? I'll get the next one. No, that's not how this works when it's a wedding rehearsal dinner. Harold, you <laughs> dick. So uh, he expected Tony's dad, Bob, to pay the bill. He was stuck paying the entire bill because, you know, he's an oil tycoon, so he's got money. Make him pay for it. Oh, yeah. Harold would also book restaurant reservations when her family would fly in to Denver to visit. But then he would just expect Bob to pay for those, too, even though he was a guest of theirs coming to visit them. In 2005, their daughter Haley was born. The Bertolets, Tony's family, were still suspicious of Harold as they had still never seen evidence that he even had an income. He started becoming controlling and he was isolating Tony from her family. He wouldn't stop playing Minecraft. Maybe. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> he made her talk to her parents on speakerphone so he could hear exactly what was being said. He even took it upon himself to call Tony's dad Bob on his birthday, but didn't allow Tony to. Their relationship kind of carried on like this for the next seven years. But on their 12th wedding anniversary in September of 2012... Harold planned a special trip for the two of them. He had secretly made arrangements at her practice for Tony to get off work early that day and then surprised her at work that afternoon with the news. He had reserved a room at the Stanley Hotel, which was Stephen King's inspiration for the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. It's a beautiful hotel, really. Which seems somewhat ominous. He had also arranged for them to go hiking on Deer Mountain in the nearby Rocky Mountain National Park. I, I don't get that. I can't see that as something you do like on a vacation. I'm not going to go on a vacation and fucking walk with a stick and a backpack. Fuck you, man. Well, it was extra weird in this situation because family and friends of Tony's would later say that this was odd considering Tony was not an experienced hiker, especially not on any type of rugged terrain like what would be found on Deer Mountain. Not to mention that she had bad knees and it would have aggravated her condition. But regardless, she went along with it. The couple started hiking. And from looking at the pictures that they took of each other that day, things appeared to be going well. She seemed happy. They were both smiling in the pictures. 
But things took a drastic turn during the hike and Harold called 911. And I will put the audio of that call in now. 911, what's your address, the emergency? Hello, my name is Harold Hedthorne. I'm in the Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. I need, I need an Alpine Mountain Rescue Team immediately. Okay, what is your exact location? My exact location is Deer Mountain, north okay. from it. About okay. one mile, about one mile south of the visitor center. Okay, I'm going to transfer you to the park. So hang on the line. You'll hear some. You're going to hear some clicking. And right now, I'm okay. pulling up your Latin, your long, okay. Um, okay. on my phone here. Let me try it one more time before I transfer you. They don't have this technology. Can I, can I make sure you know where I am first? Okay. Yep. I have one okay. moment. Okay. Okay. Hang on. We say right where I am. <laughs> And I'll introduce who we are when they pick up the phone. This is Esther, and we have a gentleman on Deer Mountain. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. My wife has fallen from a rock on the north summit of Deer Mountain on the Deer Mountain Trail when she's in really critical condition. She's had a bad fall. Her uh, How far is she fall, sir? Uh, 30, 40 feet, 30 feet. 40 feet. I think, I think 30 feet. 30 feet. Are you with I, I can't be sure. I am. Let me be sure that you know my location first. I okay. have really bad cell coverage. Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm on Deer Mountain. Okay. Near the summit, not the normal, regular uh, northern summit, on the southern outcrops. And um, tell me some, about, some things about the patient. She is a um, white female, 50 years old, great health. She has respiration approximately five to eight beats a minute. Her pulse is about um, between 50 and 80 beats a minute. Okay, what's her main injury? Uh, head injury. Head injury. Concussion. Okay, any other injuries? The internal, I don't I... Is she conscious of breathing? No, she's not. She's not been conscious. She is breathing. She's anywhere between five and, and eight beats a minute now. Okay, hold on just a second. Okay. Here's the thing, I will pay any and all expenses for a helicopter. I don't care if it's private, I don't care if it's commercial, it wouldn't matter if it's medevac. I will, you know, I'll pay any and all expenses right now. Okay. Have you, have you drop a paramedic down here? I understand that, sir. Um, it's really on the safety of everybody involved, so that would really be up to the ranger okay. charge. What is good, there's, there's no wind whatsoever right now. Weather okay. is excellent. This building is, is at least five to eight miles. Um, there's, there's definitely... I mean, I, I'm not a paramedic, but I'm doing all I can do. Um, you could safely drop a paramedic from a, from a 10-foot rope. I mean, okay. easily do that. I understand that, sir, but they definitely need to probably get someone on scene. They do have hasty teams, and those okay. are the teams that are going to run up there okay. as fast as possible and get to your location. Um, they're asking you to put as many bright items out as possible to see if they can't see you, if they can blast you. Okay. Exactly six. 
So when rescuers were finally able to get to the couple, some things stood out to them. First, Tony hadn't fallen 30 or 40 feet, as Harold claimed when he called 911. She had fallen off of a 130-foot cliff. Tony was clearly already deceased, but despite Harold claiming to know CPR, he was not attempting to resuscitate her in any way. He was just, he was just bragging about it. He, he was, was actually sitting and texting and making phone calls when they rolled up. Well, He's just like, hey guys, check out my Facebook. <laughs> what level are you guys on a Candy Crush? You know, despite telling the 911 dispatcher that he had this horrible cell coverage, he's texting and calling people. Go figure. And he did not appear panicked or grief-stricken, despite telling 911 he had been willing to pay whatever it costs to get help to his wife. I'll pay for a helicopter, send people in. He didn't seem real upset at all. And because of the terrain, Tony's body had to actually be secured and left on the mountain for a day or two until the proper recovery team and equipment could be brought in after they, you know, investigated the potential crime scene. Because they were kind of questioning him already. An investigation started, and since the Rocky Mountain National Park is on federal land, the FBI got involved. When Tony's father, Bob, learned of Tony's death, his first words were, quote, he pushed her. He said, I knew it. It may have seemed like a light bulb moment, but it wasn't, and we knew it. They were all kind of saying, we fucking knew this would happen. Mm-hmm. When the family flew into Denver, Harold told them three different versions of what happened in less than 48 hours. The first version was that Tony had lagged behind him, and when he turned around, she wasn't there. So he started looking over the the edges of the cliff and he saw her body down below. The next version was that he was looking at his phone and just saw kind of a flash of movement out of the corner of his eye as Tony fell over the edge. Then the third version was that Tony had been about 10 feet from the edge of the cliff and she was trying to set up a, a shot to take a picture of him. She had stepped back to get him in the shot how she wanted it and that she fell backwards off of the cliff. And he said he never heard her scream or yell, no matter which scenario he told. And her brother Todd later stated, who is silent when they fall from a cliff? Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote doesn't make any sounds at all. He's silent when he falls off a cliff. He's not a person. Well, you asked. He asked. Well, go write a letter to Todd. I'm not going to. And tell him about Wiley Coyote. I'm not. I'm just saying, he usually has a sign that says, oops. Meep, meep. And, yeah. All right. So you're comparing her being shoved off a cliff to the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote? No, I'm not. Do you think she would have stayed in the air if she hadn't looked down? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. It's possible. I hope. The only way for me to know is to go... Test it out when you're <laughs> on your cocaine habit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When, I'm Wiley Coyote, bitches! When I'm out in the mountains having one of my fits. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the frantic phone call. It didn't work. It didn't work. Splat. My knee's backwards. <laughs> well, um, the family was a little weirded out because, uh, oddly enough, Harold had already picked out music and had made a slideshow tribute for Tony's funeral when they had arrived in Denver. She'd only been dead like a day, and he's already got everything already planned out. And he showed it to the family. Todd would later say in an interview, quote, 
Tony's body was still on the mountain on Sunday, and by Monday, he's got the music picked out, the pictures chosen and put in order. You'd think he was showing us his holiday video. He was so proud of it. Oh. Kind of sick. Harold told authorities that while hiking, he and Tony had kind of stumbled upon the path Tony had fallen from because there was a sign at the entrance to the trail that they had planned on taking saying that one was closed. But investigators found a map of the mountain with an X handwritten in at the exact spot Tony had fallen from. And a park ranger recalled that the sign Harold was referring to had been removed on the 21st of September so authorities started to think that he had scouted out the area just prior to when the sign came down. Harold might have just assumed it would still be closed when they returned on the 29th, and then he tried to use it as kind of his cover story um, to give a reason as to why they were on this other trail. Harold had also said that he moved Tony to a flatter location in order to perform CPR, which, as you'll recall, he was not doing when the rescuers came up. But no blood was found under her body, indicating that she was already dead when he moved her. Because once you die, the blood's not flowing, you're not going to bleed anymore. If she was still alive, she would have had pooling under her. Tony's brother Todd stated, quote, She had no scalp, her skull was bared, and there was no blood. So all those vital signs he was giving everybody, including my brother Barry, who's a cardiologist, were a bunch of crap. End quote. And, you know... Tony's lipstick was still pristine, so that kind of indicates that he hadn't even tried to attempt mouth to mouth. What if they asked him, "Was like, PR, why didn't you?" He's like, "Why didn't you attempt CPR?" And he's like, "Oh, she's dead. Ew. <laughs> Ew, gross. You want to touch his body? My mouth on there? Ew. Ew." <laughs> well, this brings some other points into question. If a person falls over 100 feet off of a fucking cliff, there's bound to be some type of external trauma such as being scalped, as, you know, her brother said, as well as lacerations, potential for exposed broken bones, bleeding from the mouth or nose if there's, like, an internal bleed in the chest or abdomen. But Harold said absolutely nothing about Tony bleeding, and I would think that to a non-medically trained person, seeing their spouse scalped would be one of the very first things they would fucking react to and probably would mention to 911. She's got a weird hat. <laughs> I mean, I know the whole thing is traumatic and tragic, but that'd be something pretty significant that you would notice and you would probably want to mention when you call. But he doesn't mention that. There may not have been much blood because Tony most likely in my opinion, died on impact from a fall that high. I, I mean, 130 feet, you're looking at what? I uh, that's pretty fucking tall. He doesn't even really mention any other visible injuries when he called for help, just that she's critical. I mean, he doesn't mention that she's cut anywhere, doesn't mention that she's got any broken bones. Just these supposed vital signs that he's taking, who... You're an entrepreneur that owns your own business and you know how to take these vital signs. I'm curious about how many st- how many feet was it? 130. Hey Google, how many stories is 140 feet? Here's some information for how many stories is 140 feet. Here's a summary from the website baltimoreson.com. To get 40 stories tall, Pelton figures on 10 feet per story. That's 14 stories. Wow. 
Yeah. So falling 14 stories, you would think she'd probably die on impact. I would hope. I'd hate for anybody to fall that high and then just be suffering until they died. If I fell that from there, I'd be like, please. Like, as I'm falling, making no sound, apparently, as people do, I would think to myself, please let me land on my neck. God, this is not going to be great. But then he tells 911 that she fell 30 or 40 feet. I'm sorry, but there's a big difference between 30, 40 feet and 130. I mean, how could he even get that wrong? Unless how do you fuck her up? original fall was 30 or 40 feet, he made it down to her and then shoved her off another outcropping. Maybe. I mean... If it was me, it'd have been like, uh, I don't know how far she fell. Um, she, I'm six one, and she's my height, and I'm looking at her, and she's real small. <laughs> she fell a long way. Back to the the vital signs. That phone call with nine one one lasted just over four minutes, which is hardly enough time to have accurately gotten any vital signs, whether he's medically trained or not. While he's talking on the phone to 911 and giving directions and offering to pay for a helicopter, how is he even focused on, you know, even if he's trying to check her pulse, he's talking to someone, explaining stuff to them. He can't focus on how many beats a minute her heart's making. And I think at one point he even calls her respirations beats per minute. Your respiration is not a beat. Just saying. (laughs) But anyway. He's just saying things into the phone. (laughs) Yeah, he's just throwing out numbers. Oh, yeah, that's what's going on. Oh, man, I don't know. I think she's in shock. And from all this bleeding, it looks like influenza and pink eye. Oh, man, paddles and clear. (laughs) She's got the (laughs) Ebola. The forensic pathologist report on Tony stated she'd, quote, died as a result of multiple blunt force injuries when she fell or was pushed down a cliff while hiking. Homicide cannot be excluded. So FBI investigators started looking more closely at Harold. They were able to triangulate places that Harold had been by tracing the pings from his cell phone. They learned that he had been to the spot on Deer Mountain where Tony had died nine times in the months prior to her death. But he told them that he'd only been in like the general area once before. And he has this map with an X on it. They also found out that there was $4.5 million worth of life insurance on Tony. That's a lot of cocaine. That's a lot of cheddar. All of the couple's financial records were poured over and it was discovered that Harold didn't actually own his own fundraising business. In fact, he hadn't worked for almost 20 years. You motherfucking piece of shit, fibber. (laughs) He had been living off of Tony's income through their whole relationship. It's gotta suck to be somebody's sugar mama and not know. Yeah. He was the one that handled the finances in the household. And I guess Tony just never thought to question him about it. You know, like, see the statements? Like, where's your money come into all this? He pretended to work from home in the basement or would say he had to go to meetings or lunches with clients that didn't exist. He just hung out. He just hung out at the... um... What is it? Sapporo's Pizza in the mall? (laughs) He just hung out there. Yeah, because they even had a house guest that stayed with them for a few months. And he said, yeah, every day he'd say he had to go to work down in the basement on the computer. Or he'd say he was leaving to go meet somebody. And he said, I just thought he was 
working. Yeah, he just played it off to everyone. Like, this is what I'm doing. And he was really just, like, internet surfing, watching kitten videos and <laughs> going to eat lunch at Sephora's, evidently. At Sephora's. <laughs> and having a huge amount of this circumstantial evidence, Harold was arrested and charged with murder two years later in November of 2014. The trial started in September of 2015 and lasted just two and a half weeks. But some pretty suspicious things came out during the proceedings, as if all of this wasn't suspicious enough. A year prior to Tony's death, the couple were staying at a cabin in Granby, Colorado. I'm assuming it's something that they owned because Harold had been doing some repair work on the cabin and he had been pulling up deck boards that he was going to replace and then he would chuck them off the deck. And somehow an outdoor light had busted, according to the testimony, and Tony came out to pick up the shards. Now, I don't know how it would just bust on its own. My assumption is that Harold probably did it on purpose to get her out there to pick up the glass. But that's just my opinion. Anyway, one of the planks struck Tony on the back of her head and neck as she bent over. It caused a fractured vertebra in her cervical spine, which is her neck. But if it had hit her directly on the head, like if she had been standing and not bending over at the time, she most likely would have died that day. Is anybody else thinking of Home Alone? <laughs> Why are you thinking of Home Alone? Little glass shards going out there. You know, it kind of makes me think of the whole montage before the robbers show up. Wet Bandits. Mm -hmm. It's a good documentary. And... <laughs> <laughs> he's setting up the entire house there's a whole montage yeah we watched him. that documentary the other day yeah, on Christmas setting up the micro machines on the bottom there and him heating up the the, the doorknob and you know, getting ice on the steps all that shit I can just see that same montage and, and think music about this people where he's if fucking... a kid did this in real life how sadistic he is oh in Home Alone yeah 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 but it's a movie so ha 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 it's funny he's cute but he's torturing these men and they're just as bad trying to get in this fucking house with a kid. Yeah. This isn't a funny haha Christmas time movie. <laughs> yeah. No, in real life this would be horrible. As soon as I like slipped on that step and landed on my back, I'd be like, oh God. Fuck get, this. Get me to the van. <laughs> I can't believe they can't afford salt. I wouldn't even think it's the kid until I grab the doorknob and I'm like, motherfuck. <laughs> you little piece of shit. God damn fucking scoundrel you're really taken to that aren't you tisk tisk fucker <laughs> yeah for real uh that's third degree burn get me to the hospital now that's what i would do <laughs> anyway yeah i can just see like do it all setting everything up you know yeah, to make it look like an accident i wonder if he watched home alone and was like i could do that he probably did when he was downstairs on his computer probably well even more strange is the fact that after this happened, Tony's family was never informed. They didn't know about this until after Tony had died. Of course, that was probably most likely because Harold wouldn't allow them to know because then they would have even more reason to look at him suspiciously. But that may have actually been Harold's first attempt to kill his wife. It could have been an accident, but... It's a mighty convenient accident. Yeah, pretty convenient. But there was another even bigger suspicion involving Harold, and that was the death of his first wife, Lynn, which took place on May 6th of 1995, 20 years prior to the trial. 
And of course, you'll remember he told the Bertolais it was a car accident. And they just went with that. What actually happened is the two had been driving in their Jeep and they stopped on the side of the road to change a tire because Harold thought it was going flat. The Jeep was up on the jack and Lynn was helping Harold by holding the lug nuts as he took them off. Once he removed the tire, he got up to put it in the rear of the Jeep, which usually every time I have seen or assisted in changing a tire, you have the spares already sitting out and the one you're taking off, you just sit to the side and then you put the spare on. Yeah. And then you go put There's it in no the trunk. There's no point in grabbing that, picking it up, and taking it over there. You're already there. Yeah. Just turn around and grab the fucking tire. Yeah, evidently he on. decided to get up and go put the tire in the back of the Jeep while it was still up on the jack and the other tire wasn't put on yet. I say that makes it unstable. It does. Because at this time, when supposedly dropped a lug nut and it rolled under the car... And she was like, oh, fudge. <laughs> she crawled under the car to try to retrieve it, according to the story. Just as Harold tossed the going flat tire into the back, which jostled the car and caused it to lurch off the jack, and the car then fell onto Lynn's back, crushing her. And at least this is what Harold claimed. And Lynn ended up dying from traumatic asphyxiation. There is that $20 fucking word. Yep. Traumatic asphyxiation. Yeah, you are showing off earlier, huh? Traumatic. I got, it, I got it, honey. Traumatic asphyxiation. Thanks. I'm she, not a fucking bragger. She, she died from that later that night at the age of 37. Really bad not breathing is the test. I know the, the word. Term. I just can't get it out. I, I know what asphyxiation is. There. Okay. It's Woo. funny if you fuck that up. I know what a 60-station shit. <laughs> Basically, it pushed on her chest to the point where she could not breathe. And she kind of just died because she couldn't breathe. As people and heart failure. Do. That too. The silent killer. But Harold's stories kept changing or they didn't make sense. He couldn't stay consistent on whether one or two jacks were used or who was even changing the tire. One time he would say that they were driving to dinner, and the next time they were coming from dinner. He told one investigator that Lynn called out his name when the car fell, and then told another that she yelled, I think there's something on me. No shit. It's a big fucking car. He has the worst memory and the worst storytelling skills ever. And why would you say, I think there's something on me when it's crushing your chest and you can't breathe? You can't even get that sentence out. She said, I think there's something on me. And I looked from the trunk and I saw her two legs just fucking kicking. (laughs) He also said that he pulled Lynn out from under the car, but then later stated it was people who stopped to help who pulled her out. The police didn't dig very deep, though, when they investigated For just a total of six days. And then they were like, nope, we're done. We're going home. For some reason. They couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Though they did find that the tire being changed wasn't even flat. It just had low pressure. The exact same amount of the low pressure that they found in the spare. So he was basically just swapping one tire for a fucking other tire. With the same air pressure. There was no reason for them to have been on the side of the road changing this tire. Wait, do you think he wanted to kill her? Hmm. I think you might be onto something, Billy. Dun, dun, dun. You 
motherless, fucking godless fiend. <laughs> so, For those of you listening, I'm trying to say the most scathing curses in the world with the most boring titles. <laughs> you fucking fibber. Mm. You fibbing fibber. <laughs> I have a very limited vocabulary. Yep. Well, despite all these different versions of events and the completely unnecessary changing of the tire, the cops were like, eh, it's an accident. They let it go. (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? Well, when this information came out in court for Tony's death, it was scrutinized much more. It was disclosed that the jack he had used was not the jack that had come with the Jeep. It was a much narrower, like, it didn't even have a base on it to put up against the car it was almost like a, just a riddle little round pole <laughs> i mean i i saw videos of what this actual jack looked like and it i don't even know what it's used to jack up but <laughs> they, they brought in an expert like an expert from the actual company jeep wrangler or mm-hmm. you know they're just like all right can you tell me what the um jack is that is you know come standard this model of Jeep, you're like, yes, it's the X2 9000 and all that stuff, you know. Okay, um, this is exhibit A. Is this the jack? No. Is it a jack? Yes. To what? Fucking Do- moped? A Dodge Neon. <laughs> Can a Dodge Neon's jack hold a Jeep? No. Something like this, in my professional opinion, it could probably fall and crush a woman. Is that why I'm here? <laughs> hey, wait. <laughs> so you said it the whole jury went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And Harold's dumbass jumped up. It's like, objection. They're like, sit down. And the thing is, he had both jacks. He had both jacks. But, of course, this other jack that made the Jeep much more unstable when hoisted up, he claimed that, the Jeep one didn't work, so he had to use the other more unstable one. Oh, well, yeah. But experts claim that there would have been absolutely no reason for it to not work at that time. You know, unless it's like completely rusted to where it won't move or something. There yeah. was no reason why it wouldn't work. But neither Jack was ever even tested in the original investigation. Because, you know, it was an accident. Hmm. It was learned that Harold had declined help from a passerby before the accident and had tried to prevent a second group of passersby from performing CPR on Lynn. He was like, no, don't touch her. She'll be okay. I don't know how you're going to do mouth-to-mouth on her. Her head's underneath the fucking car. Yeah, don't put your mouth on her. Ooh, she's dead. No, ooh. Ew, 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 ew. He also allegedly wouldn't even cover her with his coat to try and warm her up, despite it being nearly freezing that evening. Well, if he took his coat off, he'd be cold, too. Oh, right. Don't make... No point in both of us dying. Don't make us all suffer. (laughs) There was the question of Lynn having to scoot under the car to get to a lug nut that had fallen and supposedly rolled under the vehicle. Well, when they pulled off the side of the road, the car was on gravel. So the terrain was very bumpy. And the lug nuts were somewhat squared. And between those two, that would make it pretty fucking difficult for one to have rolled under the car by accident. Yeah, that's probably why people stopped off for help. They probably pulled over and were like, why are you doing that in gravel? Yeah. 
Is this your first time? <laughs> that tire doesn't look flat at all. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Did you build that, Jack? What is that? <laughs> the court also got to hear about Harold's different stories that he told people about Lynn's death. That it was a head-on car wreck. Or my favorite, that the EMTs didn't know what they were doing and they crushed her with their resuscitation attempts. Because that always happens. Yeah, I guess uh, the EMT that day was Hulk. <laughs> guess so. The Bertolets had never pushed the issue, as I said, uh, about Harold's first wife. Because <laughs> they just assumed that she had died in a crash because he said it was a car accident. They didn't know he literally meant it was an accident involving a car. Makes you think the EMT being the incredible Hulk is like, don't make me resuscitate you. You wouldn't like me when I resuscitate you. It works zero times every time. <laughs> Hulk, save! <laughs> when they uh, found out about the real cause of Lynn's death, they were floored. And Tony's father, Bob, said, quote, If I'd known how Lynn died, I'd never have let Tony marry the guy, and she'd still be alive today. And did I mention that Harold and Lynn had just celebrated their 12th wedding anniversary shortly before she died? And then Tony dies on her 12th wedding anniversary. What an unlucky guy to lose two wives in rare accidents. He hates the number 12. Can you believe that? That's just crazy. Good thing he was the lone witness to both and the sole beneficiary of both of their insurance policies, which is how he hadn't needed to work for 20 years because he was living off of the insurance from Lynn's death. Man, he's really got it bad. <laughs> Harold, of course, was convicted of the first-degree murder of Tony and sentenced to life in prison in late 2015. And the most recent things I could find on him were that he lost an appeal earlier this year in July and that at some point he was moved to a maximum security federal prison here in Indiana. But I have no idea why. What do you think? Pendleton, maybe? Maybe. But I don't know why he would be moved from Colorado to Indiana. Unless maybe it was, you know, they had to repopulate or relocate their inmates to other areas. But why so far away? I don't know. Because he kept saying in the 12th year that he's in there, he's going to murder everybody. <laughs> It comes in twelves. And um, their daughter, Haley, she's actually doing good. She went to live with um, Tony's brother, Barry, the cardiologist, and his wife. She has changed, by her choice, her last name to Bertolet to get rid of her father's last name. And has taken to calling her piece of shit father, Mr. Henthorne. Good so, for her. Good for her for overcoming. And um, hopefully... Since there's a lot more details and stuff known about the death of Lynn, I'm personally hoping that in the next couple of years, maybe he gets charges filed for that. Yeah. I mean, sentenced to life, he could do with another life sentence. Why not? He's already there. Yeah. Yeah, he could do it. So, those are three anniversary murders for you to enjoy on this podversary. Yay! Yay. Yay. So, yeah, once again, thank you all so much for being with us this past year. There have been ups, there's been downs, we've laughed, we've cried. Well, not really. Not it's just, so much. It's no. just kind of been laughter. Yay. Yay. I want to thank Emily Walinga. I asked for 
creepypastas. And and she delivered. Yes. <laughs> I have like a whole backlog that I got to catch up on now. So that's what I've been doing at work is I've been listening to creepy creepypastas. So thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. All right. Oh, and, sorry. Go ahead. And a shout out to my friend, Coles. I told him that I'd give him a shout out. He's my buddy. I served with him in Texas and we went to Iraq. So, uh, hey, Coles. Hi. I don't know you, but hello. (laughs) And, of course, there are too many of you to try and mention. All the people who've followed us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Those of you that just listen to the show. You know, of course, always want to thank Kate and Heather and Cooper. Danny. Danny. um, Stephanie. All of you guys have been super duper supportive and we thank you for listening and we hope that the next year there'll be even bigger things to come. So if you want to see and hear more martinis in the macabre, please take a moment if you could to rate and review us, you know, five stars would be hugely appreciated and we, you can say whatever you want in the review. It's just, you know, an algorithm thing with iTunes. If you don't want to do iTunes because you have Android, you know, Stitcher, any of the apps that have the option to rate and review, you can leave a rating and review on Facebook. Anything you can do to kind of help bump our numbers up, bring us to a wider audience. If you know people that might like the show, mention it to them. Say, hey, give them a shot. Tell them what your favorite episode is. See if they'll give it a listen. Anything that you can do to get the word out is much appreciated. You can follow us on Facebook at Martinis and the Macabre. And there's also a fan base page, Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre. Our Twitter is Martini underscore... Un- bleh, bleh. She's good with big words. <laughs> Our Twitter is Martini underscore Macabre. And Instagram is at Martinis and the Macabre as well. Please visit our website, www.martinisandthemacabre.com. You can find a full episode listing. You just click on the picture. It'll take you to the the Libsyn page that will play that episode. There's a full track listing on there of all the music we've used from Phaser765. There'll be a new one at the end of this episode, so stay tuned to the end. We also want to thank him tremendously for making the artwork and all the music he's let us use on the show. You can email us at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. There's also a contact page on the website if you prefer to use that. Also on the website, there's a bio page if you want to learn a little bit more about us. You want to see some pictures. Just go at it. Have fun. Feel free to engage with us on any of the social media. We like engaging with you guys. It's fun. I'm not on there as much as Billy. But hopefully once I go to first shift, that'll change. I'll be able to talk to you guys a little more often. Feel free to hit us up. You know, send a friend request to us personally if you want. We're down. We'll friend you. Hell yeah. Cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And we still do have some stickers available, so the offer still stands. If you want a free sticker uh, and you haven't already, go rate and review us on wherever you can or if you have already just send us a screenshot of that with an address and we will mail you a free sticker so 
if there's nothing else, I think that brings this year to a close. Yep. So we've already got some good stuff lined up for the beginning of the next year, so make sure to stay tuned. Thank you all so, so much. It is just amazing how fantastic you guys are. You guys are the best. And uh, we hope you keep listening and we'll keep cranking them out. Stay safe and we'll see you in maybe two weeks. I'm not sure yet. Happy New Year. We'll have to figure that out. Yes, Happy New Year. Reveal. Get ready. I'm ready. Oh, and for future reference, let's see if we can find a soundbite for CSI. Dun dun! Like one of those, like, or is that CSI or is that what is that? Uh, that's like Law and Order. I want one of those because the, right now there's, there's copyright laws. Right now. Yeah, right now I happening? don't want to get sued. What's happening? You're putting your glasses on. I'm putting my glasses on. Or feel smart. I feel smart.